0: you're listening to the broadway podcast network bone records brilliant traces and budget geography hi everyone i'm your host sean chandler and you're listening to your program is your ticket a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen today's guest is ann mason founder and producing artistic director of relative theatrics And as part of my Theater is for Everyone series, where I'm interviewing theater artists outside of the major locales and influences to give them a chance to be heard, discuss their work selection and production processes, while touching on their triumphs, challenges, and misconceptions. Risky, relevant, and real, Relative Theatrics is a Laramie based theater company with a mission to bring thought provoking, dynamic theater to Southeast Wyoming. Now, please keep in mind that our interviews are recorded at different times to optimize schedules just in case the audio sounds different. I'm super excited, so let's bring her on. Hi, Anne, and welcome to Your Program is Your Ticket.
1: Hello, thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm thrilled. I'm so glad we have somebody from Wyoming who's going to talk about theater there. That's great.
1: I know, it's pretty exciting. A big big state with a very small population and pretty spread out theater opportunities here.
0: Wow, cool, cool. I can't wait to hear all about it. Um, Let's start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and telling us about relative theatrics.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. My name is Ann Mason. Um, I am the founder and producing artistic director of Relative Theatrics, which is a nonprofit theater company in Laramie, Wyoming. Um, I'm born and raised here in Laramie. This is also where the University of Wyoming is. Uh, The University of Wyoming is the only state and four year college in the state of Wyoming. Um, And so we have capital on the students here in Laramie, um, but never really had a theater company outside of the university until nine years ago, which is when I moved back home and started Relative Theatrics.
0: Wow. I I had no idea.
1: (laughs) It's some interesting facts. Yeah.
0: That's great. What did you do before you moved back home?
1: So I was only gone for two years. I went to the university here, received a Bachelor's of Fine Arts, uh, Theater and Dance Performance, um, and then I spent a year touring the country with Missoula Children's Theater, where once one week at a time, putting up a show in any environment, whether it be a, a very small, tiny middle-of-nowhere town of sixty people, or you know, a big, massive city like Panama City Beach, Florida, um, really proving that theater can occur anywhere. Um, it was a great year. It was a whirlwind of a year, lots of challenges, lots of rewards. Uh, and then I moved to Sacramento, California, and I worked with California musical theater in their education program, and then did an acting and artistic director apprenticeship with Capital Stage Company. Um, and while at Capital Stage, I really developed my own sense of artistic sensibility and, um, recognized that having a theater company that, that creates more intimate work, but very impactful, edgy, bold, contemporary plays um, that spark dialogue and and really get the thought going, um, that that was a perfect fit for my hometown, and I wanted to move home anyway. So I returned to Laramie after two years away and started the company.
0: Wow, very cool. Where along that uh, pre-timeline, if you will, Mm -hmm. did you learn... Uh, the administrative side of running a theater company?
1: I would say uh, definitely a lot of the administrative training occurred when I was working in the education department at uh, Sacramento Music Circus, uh, writing grants, um, and and sort of the more like budgeting and scheduling of the programmatic side of things. Um, And then definitely through my apprenticeship at Capital Stage Company. Um, At that point in time, the artistic director there was Stephanie Gallart. She's now at... Um, She's now in Florida, uh, um, running another theater company down in Florida, doing amazing work there. Um, But she was such an amazing mentor and really just let me shadow her all the time. So everything from season selection to planning a fundraising event, um, donor interaction, everything that you need to know to make it happen.
0: (laughs) Wow, wow. Now, um, we definitely will get into relative theatrics, but I have a question about working in Sacramento because I'm from Los Angeles. Okay. And um, uh, my husband and I were both born in Los Angeles. We moved out to New York about, I think it was like five, six years ago. (laughs) Um, The last two years are lost. So I I know you can't, you can't
1: really have any timeline these days. (laughs) Right,
0: exactly. Um, And what was theater like in Sacramento? Because it's, I have a very definitive idea of what it was like in uh, Los Angeles.
1: Sure. I mean, I think what's the benefit is it, it was a little bit of trickle off of what you might have in, in San Francisco. And often we would be working with artists that lived in San Francisco and then would just come up for, you know, the, the eight week period to, to do a show. Um, but there were, I think that at that point in time, there were maybe four equity theaters in Sacramento um, of, of various ranges of small professional theater, or tier one or two, two, or, um, some of the Lort houses. Um, so there's a small community of professional theater artists there. And then also just a really strong sense of, of community members that, that were creating work and getting involved.
0: Right. Right. Well, because when I, when I was exposed to theater in Southern California, it was very much like, the big houses like uh, the Pantages and the Amundsen Mm. who would do mostly tours, Mm -hmm. or if there was a big blockbuster show, they do a sit down for a couple of years. The rest of it, there weren't a lot of, um, I want to call them like mid-level theaters. It was either that or, or complexes with um, black box theaters for the most part. Was it like that in Sacramento?
1: I I mean, I, I feel like there was a pretty good, range, um, at, at that point in time, there, there was, so, so Sacramento Music Circus, um, is housed under California Musical Theater, and they're the big touring company, so they bring in the big touring acts, um, but then Music Circus itself is, it's a stock company that has a, an amazing reputation, um, and a long-standing history of, of producing really high-quality musicals in the round, um, it used to literally be in a, in a circus tent, which is some pretty fun history there, wow. um, and and then in that same complex, there's the Sacramento Theater Company, which probably is a little bit more of that mid-level. Um, there's also B Street Theater, uh, which had both big theaters and black boxes. Um, and then Capitol Stage itself, uh, I can't remember the exact capacity. Might be around 250, um, but a but more intimate black box setting um, with kind of a semi-in-the-round thrust. Sit, setting where you got the audience sitting on, on three sides, uh, which is actually a setup that I snatched and brought back to Laramie with me. Cause I really love that sort of forced intimacy of the, the audience being right there in the world, of the play with the right. actors.
0: So it's like a, a thrust type stage, correct?
1: Yeah. But just not really, and not much depth beyond the actual thrust. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, you're, you're in a situation like that and it, um it really, in my opinion, forces creative genius when you oh, have yeah. a situation like that, because you don't, you know, sometimes it's better to not have a ton of money to throw at something and really have to use, have your director and your team use their, uh, their training and their imaginations. And when you do that, I think sometimes really awesome, cool things happen.
1: I think that that's something that capital stage really highlighted for me and what gave me at that point in my life permission to come back and and take a big risk and start something so novel in in the Laramie community.
0: It's way cool that they um like sparked that in you and they got you excited for that? Yeah. Wow, wow, what a nice um what a nice experience and mm-hmm. a nice uh, I would assume is a a training ground for you as well.
1: Oh, very much so. Yes, and I, you know, I'll work with a lot of college students here at the university in, in, in Laramie, and I'll I'll, I'll c- encourage them when they're seniors. Say, you know, check out the apprentice program in, in Sacramento at Cap Stage. It's it's good. Oh, cool. I did it.
0: <laughs> very nice. <laughs> yeah. Look at you now.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> okay let's let's go back to Wyoming. Yeah. Tell us about relative theatrics, please.
1: Okay. So relative theatrics, we present thought-provoking theater that examines the joining qualities of the human race. Taking artistic risk, we provide a community gathering place where thoughts can be exchanged about society, culture, and the power of creativity. We do a lot of contemporary works, um, and especially most recently, a lot of brand new works um, and uh, developmental productions where we're Directly working with the playwright, which has been such a joy, and really um, some artistic richness that has come out of that. Um, yeah, so we're in our ninth year. Um, we pr- put on our um, our shows at the Laramie Plains Civic Center Griffin Theater, which is this the the Civic Center is the old high school. It's a this giant building that was built in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, you know when we had the railroad coming through Laramie. Um, and, and now it's a really wonderful hub for nonprofits, artists, um, and entrepreneurs and small business owners all within the old classrooms of, of this building. And the theater itself is gorgeous. It's historic. It's got murals on the walls and chandeliers on the ceiling. Um, it has probably a capacity of like 850 um, and it's way, way, way too big for the scope of the shows that we like to do at Relative Theatrics. So we converted the space by seating the audience on the stage on three sides of the, act, of the actors um, and creating a whole new theater-going experience um, where, as I mentioned earlier, we sort of forced this intimacy um, and communion between the viewers and the art itself. Wow.
0: That's great. Can I take another detour? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, cool. That reminds me so much of, um, I, I. you're probably familiar with uh, Carrie the Musical, right?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: I chased Carrie the Musical around forever. I love the movie. <laughs> I, I love the music from the, uh, the musical. I love the story of the Broadway production and how mm-hmm. that was a wreck. But um, they did a, a production of Carrie the Musical in... Um, there's a theater in La Habra or La Mirada and it's run by Kathy Rigby and her, her um, husband. Okay. And they did this production of Carrie where we walked in and we're in the, the lobby. And all of a sudden they took us back in groups. They're taking us down this hallway. That's got all of these like settings and scenes of, you know, stuff burning down in a gym and one, and then they take us on the stage and they sat us on the stage. Mm -hmm. Like they had like, um, um, uh, what are they? risers bleachers on both sides? Like we were in a gym and, uh, and then like a a catwalks towards the back and it made this, the situation way cool. I, I love that production. I talk about it all the time, but anyways, you're right. I mean, the audience like kind of feels like they're right there.
1: Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, there's always magic, right. Between an audience and the work that's being created in the theater. That's, that's, Part of why theater it has that alchemy. Uh, but there is something heightened when I think the audience gets this sense that they are literally being invited into the play. Um, and and there's it's just a, a whole other level of engagement.
0: Wow, that's cool. Did did audiences, are they surprised the first time they go in and they're sitting on the stage?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. And for, for the longest time, especially in the, the earlier years uh, of our productions, you know, people would come to the box office and, and they would look into the theater and realize like, oh, no, we, ha- we have to sit on the stage. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, thinking that there was maybe going to be like um, audience participation um, or or that they would have to be like called onto the stage, um, literally into the action of the play, not realizing that, no, this is just a different setting, Um where we're, we're just really eradicating that fourth wall um, so that you can sort of be a fly on the wall um, wow. of, of the characters.
0: Wow, that's, that's a great decision. It really is.
1: I will tell you, you know, I know later in our conversation we'll get into COVID. We are not doing that right now. We're using the full theater. And it's... A perfectly suitable band aid, but I so miss that proximity. I cannot wait until we are able to resume that uh, that format.
0: Wow, that's and what a great like substitution, like right at hand for you.
1: Right. Yeah. Wow, that's it's cool.
0: In that sense. And then your audiences are, um, I would I'm, I say, tailored towards account to where there can be plenty of space in between the seats, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, hopefully those days are going to be behind us really, really soon.
1: Fingers crossed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Um, Talk about your project selection process a little bit more. You said you do both original and previously produced work. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So in the early years, um, it was all previously produced work. Um, and a lot of you know, my my search for for selection process would be going to Samuel French, which was Samuel French at the time, and and dramatist play service, um, and and following the other theater companies that I really admired and looked up to, and then playwrights that I appreciated, um, and just you know, sort of checking more than anything, first and foremost, just the stats on, you know, is this a single or flexible set and how many actors are in this? Um, and that would be sort of the first parameter of season selection in those early years. Um, and then as, um, as, I grew into, um, the artistic directorship position more, um, and started to have a, you know, a better sense of the types of works that, that our audiences were responding really well to, um, I was really able to move more towards, um, newer works or, um, things that, that maybe weren't published yet, uh, but that could directly speak to issues that are very relevant in our state. So, uh, for example, um, we have a very large Native American population in the state, and unfortunately there um, is a lot of racism that is seen towards Indigenous peoples. Um, and it's, it's a travesty, and it's not discussed enough. And a few years back, there was um, this, this really, really sad and, and awful shooting in um, another town in Wyoming um, targeting Indigenous peoples. And at that point in time, I said, oh, well... We absolutely need to be partnering with the Native American uh, Studies Program at the university and putting these voices on stage. Um, and I reached out to Larissa Fasthorse, um, who has most recently gotten a lot of acclaim for her play, The Thanksgiving Play. Um, and she sent me some of her work. Uh, and there was this really ballsy and challenging play called What Would Crazy Horse Do?, that I read it and I said, "This is a relative theatrics play, and it scares me. It scares me so much in the best possible way. Like this is a play that is really going to challenge me, um, and in turn will really help my audiences grow as well, while being this really wonderful opportunity for community building within within Laramie." Um, and that play was also on the Kilroy's list, which I think is when I learned about the Kilroy's list. Um, and then started doing a lot of plays by women writers um, that were featured on the Kilroys um, to really increase gender parity on American stages as well. What is the Kilroys list? Oh, it's this amazing group of theater makers uh, in L.A. that, that compile um, some of the best unproduced or minimally produced scripts by women and trans and non-binary um, playwrights in an effort to really elevate their voices and um, advocate for better parody um, on our American stages, because it still is something like 30% to 70% of women being produced versus men. So so then I had my own, yeah, desire to do a lot more um, uh, diverse voices and, and female voices on the stage. Um, so that's sort of the, the big evolution. And then we also have this new play festival every year called Playwrights Voiced, where we solicit uh, submissions from playwrights all over the country um, and then give those, uh, the three or four plays that are selected, give them staged readings um, to really advance the development process. And we also have had many world premieres that have come out of that process as well. So that's been feeding a lot more of season selection recently.
0: Wow. Um, I myself am a playwright. I'm a script writer as well. I, um, I, by script writer, I mean, like, I, I write film and TV scripts as well, but I write plays. (laughs) And, um, I have to tell you how much we playwrights appreciate that. That uh, you, we appreciate that you have times where you have open submissions and, um, that, that you're, 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 exhibiting new material um you just I I hope you know the feeling that we get when somebody says yes yes I would love to do a a reading of your play or a production of your play it is uh it's so overwhelming and sometimes it's the break that you've been waiting for for like 25 years and I I'm raising my hand right here when when it happened (laughs) happened to me about 10 years ago and it was Mm -hmm. like oh my gosh that's I, I am a, a decent writer. It's, you know, it's...
1: I love it. For, for those uh, responses, you know, I, I'll, I, I call the, the playwrights when we, we select their their plays. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to email them. I'm going to call them directly and say, hey, we, w- we would like to include your play. And those initial conversations are always so fulfilling. But... They're really just the breeding ground for much richer, uh, relationships that are, that come out of that, where, where then playwrights will come to Laramie and they will visit Wyoming and they will interact with our artists and really dig into the development of their play. And it becomes just such a rich collaboration where really everyone is getting something out of it, um, our audiences are excited to see new plays our actors and artists are so excited to get that one-on-one interaction with the playwrights and of course the playwrights are getting their words their worlds come to life it's it's so exciting i i just i have such a deep love for new play development
0: wow that's again that's really really awesome because it's it's something that i think is is needed more and more um I think that sometimes we have a tendency to work with a playwright that 's successful for us um i 'm not not mentioning any names here, and then uh theater companies will just do everything by that playwright sure. um and and while it 's usually all pretty good um it, it's it 's nice to have a variety mm mm-hmm of playwrights and and voices because a good writer will have their own writer's voice. And it's something that, um, that, uh, is, is interesting to see and to observe and to find out. And if you're hearing the same voice all the time, what, it could be great. It could be excellent. To me, it starts to sound a little bit like, well, Charlie Brown's teacher is.
1: (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. Mm -hmm. So,
0: you know, that's, that is such a, a wonderful, wonderful thing that you're doing it's it's developing new artists developing new work it's that's so cool now is is bone records is that uh, part of that program?
1: It is a world premiere
0: Life's better with American family insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to twenty five percent by bundling home, auto, and life.
1: Yes, we've been working with Heather Beasley, the playwright, on Bone Records since the summer of 2019. She submitted the play for Playwrights Voiced. um, And we were doing something neat with Playwrights Voiced that year. We were pairing the plays with local or with statewide musicians who were then writing songs um, and music specifically for the plays. It was very neat. Um, And ultimately, Bone Records didn't fit into... The, the, the puzzle of what we were doing with Playwrights Voice that year. But I was so taken with the play. And we were at the same time planning a, a summer collaboration with the Laramie Public Art Coalition to do theater in the skate park um, in one of our local parks. And- um, Like a I, skateboard so, park? Yes, hmm <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. we ended up doing a developmental reading of Bone Records in the skate park where, um, the actors were, were up on top of one of the mounds that, you know, that the, those skateboarders and rollerbladers and all of those, those athletes that.
0: Where they do all their wicked flips and stuff.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It was empty during the reading. Um, but it was really neat to, to, um, both, um, interact more with the, the skating community in Laramie, which is very robust, um, to provide this this free public art, this free reading in the middle of a park, um, and to creatively use this space. A perfect Laramie anecdote uh, is that we had scheduled the, the reading to happen on the first day of summer, which I think was June 20th that year. Um, and we got snowed out. Uh, a huge blizzard came in first day of summer. The next day, the sun was out. It all melted away. We did a matinee the following day. It was all fine, uh, but but that's one of the, the challenges of of doing outdoor theater in Wyoming.
0: <laughs> wow, June.
1: Yep, first day of oh. summer.
0: <laughs> Jeez, yeah. that's uh, boy. That's I'm learning so much with this interview. That's great. <laughs> Tell us about Bone Records. Tell us about the storyline, the plot. Oh what gosh. will people expect when they? when they see your upcoming production.
1: It is such a beautiful story. And it also, um, for better or worse, is very timely. And and especially in the last week has even become more relevant. Uh, So the play is about three Soviet youths in uh, Leningrad during the Cold War. And they, they know one another growing up. And as they sort of enter their young adult life, they... For one, navigate a little love triangle, but more so they team up um, to have this little underground bootlegging ring where one of them is a doctor and he um is he has to get rid of these x-rays um, that the government has deemed undesirable. The the people they don't wanna keep the records anymore. So he has to find a way to get rid of the x-rays. One of the characters is the nephew of a bootlegger. And so he takes those x-rays and cuts Western music onto circular cutouts of the x-rays. So they are bone records. Uh, they are records that are literally on bones. And then the third character, our sort of main protagonist, Tasia, she works for the Department of Ministry and Culture uh, and so she is able to help them navigate when raids will be happening, what music can or cannot be sold versus needs to be bootlegged so it 's all incredibly fascinating uh, and it 's all real it 's all true um, you know th- these characters are, are are fictionalized but but these underground bootlegging rings, these bone records this is this is history um, and so it 's also really a beautiful story of the ways in which arts and culture can rise above any oppressive circumstance, um, to really bring hope to the people.
0: Wow. That is like very topical. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's,
0: and how much of what's happening currently, are you drawing anything f- from it or is it too fluid right now? Is it, is it a different type of, Scenario: um, w- w- What's happening in relation to what's going on in the world right now with right. with the show?
1: I mean, it's really interesting uh, to have the you know the break conversations, the the you know when actors arrive or when they leave, and and so those those side conversations that are the, on the periphery of of where we're at in in the rehearsal schedule right now, um, and it's also that weird thing of you know the, the actors and the artists where we start tech on Thursday. And so everyone's kind of, when they're on stage, they're like in the, in that zone of like, I know I need my lines. I got to figure out where this prop is tracking from, you know, they're, they're doing the craft right now, but there definitely is this new sphere of the holding space is different. Um, But I think ultimately what we have talked about is, you know, the, the, the positive optimistic side of this, that, that this is a play about characters that are really against all odds and are standing up to those forces that are trying to suppress them um, and are, in one way or another, having successes. And yes, there are still losses, and yes, there is still grief, and yes, it is still absolutely terrible, the circumstances that they are living within, but they are able to rise above and, and, you know, make lemonade from if we're going to use a, a cliche. Um, and I think that that's something that, that we're really drawing upon then in, in thinking about current politics and, and, and the social sphere that we are in right now, the, the world, um, situation that, you know, there, there is a lot of standing up for what is right. And, um, coming together and taking some bold risks to, to champion what matters.
0: Listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, um, a year down the line, it's, we just had Russia, uh, going into the Ukraine and trying to take it over. So that's actually just literally just happened within the last seven days. Uh, so, so just, just for a, a point of context there.
1: It happened really wow. in the middle of our rehearsal. <laughs> yep. Really? We had, one break. we had the second half of rehearsal. We get on our phones afterwards, and Russia has invaded the Ukraine.
0: Wow. Yeah. Did you have to stop rehearsal and kind of talk about it, or did you just keep going?
1: Well, you know, so. This is, I guess I'm. I'm grateful for the um, uh, dedication of the artist. You know, people didn't have their phones out during rehearsal; they were <laughs> all working, <laughs> so we didn't have to stop rehearsal. But, but it definitely, you know, we did for those that wanted to stay after and, and have a deeper conversation. We did.
0: Wow, that's mm-hmm. that is a commitment and dedication and total professionalism. Just yeah. so you know, I mean, it wouldn't have been. Uh, I, I think out of line to actually have someone say, "Look, is it okay if we take ten minutes to just dis- discuss this?" But, yeah.
1: but and I think know. that you know, had that had that been the case, we absolutely would have taken the time for it. Um, you know, the way that I see it, it's that affects people, it affects their psyche, and it affects their mentality and their ability to do their best work. And so, if there is a problem that needs to be discussed, or or even just a concern. um, then that it's worth it to take the time mm-hmm. to have that conversation um, and to really put everyone's mental well-being as a priority.
0: It's very, very smart. Cause you don't know if, you know, somebody in your cast knows people in the Ukraine or has family in the Ukraine. So it's, it's, it's good that there is that uh, that men- mentality with your theater company attached to that, that at least they're open. And it's not someone saying, you know, I don't care. We have this, we have this room until, you know, for another hour, and we'll talk about this later. So that's uh a, a smart and um, sympathetic, and, and 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 in its way, professional as well. It's Thinking of your people first, and that's yeah. that's smart. It's very very smart. Um, what are some of the challenges facing relative theatrics versus the larger theater companies in Wyoming? Are mm-hmm. there? Uh, do you do they? face things that you don't face you know vice versa
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's that's such a you know I you've shared some of these questions and prompts with me and I I was thinking about this one in particular um you know I think about you know what is a larger theater company in Wyoming there so Laramie is in more of the, the southeast corner of the state um In the northwest corner of the state, in Jackson Hole, there's Off Square Theater Company. Um, And I just absolutely adore the work that they do. But they do have a little bit of a bigger budget. Um, They are in one of the the richer counties in our state. Um, So they have a bigger budget. They'll do some touring shows. They're able to really support more equity actors. Um, So in that sense, I would say that they are bigger, but they're still creating work that's responding to the community um, and really engaging the community. And I commend them so much for that. Um, in the North East corner of the state, there's, there's Sheridan and they've got the Wyo Theater there and they'll do a, maybe more touring shows. So that might be the idea of a, a bigger theater company in Wyoming, uh, but they might not be doing as many plays that are um, really created by and by the community members. Um, and then we see a lot of community theaters scattered across the state, uh, whereas they're, you know, really engaging their community members in the creation of process of the show, but they're maybe not, um, approaching it with that same professionalism of we are going to, you know, maybe follow these rules for when we're going to break, or, um, we are going to, you know, pay our artists, um, that it's more volunteer and and for the, the fun hobbyist side of it, um. But you don't, I don't think that there's a lot of, um, I guess, this idea of a, a big theater in Wyoming. I don't think that there are simply enough performing arts organizations in Wyoming to to have that sort of monolithic idea, um, which is, you know, that's just a, something to take back to, I guess, um, the state legislatures and say, how can we support our artists more so we can attract some more bigger theaters? Um, but that's another high horse for another time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, it's, it's great. I mean, I've, I've been doing this series uh, for about a month and a half now, and there are a lot of very, very different answers uh, mm-hmm. to that question. And I don't think I've heard that one thus far. Most, most people talk about the financial aspect, yeah. um, the bigger theaters, they'll get, they'll get the money right? Uh, or they get grants faster. And it's, uh, it's easier for them to do that. Yeah. Um,
1: and I think that that's that I wouldn't, and that's maybe what I, what I could say with off square theater, for example, but it's not really that they are a bigger theater and therefore they get it. It's their location and their positionality in a County in the state that gets more funding. And same with the Wyo theater in Sheridan, both, both of the counties that these towns are situated in have much richer populations. And so there are more foundations there. The Wyoming community foundation, for example, has grants that are specific for those counties. Whereas there's not that opportunity in Albany County here in Laramie. Um, We are a much poorer county in the state, uh, partially because of the student population. There's not a lot of roots being put down. There's less long-term investment. And so that's one of the bigger problems when it comes to funding, because the bigger funds and the matching grants are available in the richer counties. And so then those theater companies are able to go after larger grants and support bigger budgets because they have that uh, financial fluency there.
0: That is so interesting. Um, I would have never thought of that—that that it being sort of a uh, the geography mm-hmm. limits the amount of funds, the amount of of uh, programs that mm-hmm. you can collect from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and no, thus far, no one else has said that on this series as well. Is that is that something that like your peers talk about as well? Maybe in other states or other areas of the world?
1: I have not had this conversation with, uh, uh, with other, with peers in the, in the theater world. So um, I, as, as from my standpoint, from the conversations that I have had, this is unique to Wyoming.
0: Wow. Wow. (laughs) Get it together, Wyoming. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's more than two or three counties in Wyoming, right? Yes. (laughs) Wow. That's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm jotting down a note here.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. So this is a uh, budget, uh, geography. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's crazy.
1: That being said, you know, sort of going back to what we were talking about a, a while ago, that, that a lot of creativity can come out of these challenges. Um, while Albany County and Laramie and our theater community here at Relative Theatrics might be poorer in, in resources and we are rich in creativity. Um, and, and we have an incredibly strong community, um, of both artists and supporters. And that is really what has al- allowed us to, uh, create and grow and thrive for a decade. Wow! In, in an in an environment where where it didn't exist before,
0: right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and and just so you know, I've had this that particular conversation about the not as much money, but way more creativity uh, with theaters all over the United States in the world, yeah. um, and, uh, and and in New York, um, mm-hmm. we have a an award show here called the New York Innovative Theater Awards that uh, does off off Broadway awards and a couple of uh a couple of times I've done backstage interviews, and I've had that conversation multiple times where they're like, yeah, we didn't really have any money, so we had to i don't know have like a a, a giant sheet represent something or right. <laughs> or you know we had to hang a light a different way or or you know, it's it's I'm very proud of you guys for doing that. And just so you know, every, a lot of other people are doing it as well. Just so you don't think that you're just, you know, all by yourself. Oh no, no.
1: I fully recognize that. And I, I, I champion that for, you know, small theaters and and just artists in general for making it work. Wow. Good.
0: Good. Did you hear that everyone? There you go. (laughs) Smart, smart, professional person here. Creative. Um, let's talk about your production process. We've, we've talked about all of the the ways that you make things happen with productions, with your seating and, Mm
1: -hmm. and thinking
0: outside the box, if you will. Um, What is your production process like? from, you know, you you talked about selection, but like casting, rehearsal, things like that. How does it normally go? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So it, it will often depend on the show itself. Um, But we have a, well, we've been, for the most part, operating on a sort of a pretty standard timeline of two shows in the fall, two shows in the spring, um, coinciding with the academic year for two reasons. One, we're a university town, so our population plummets in the summer. And also the summers here are, aside from the blizzards on on the first day of summer. The freak blizzard, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um But they're absolutely gorgeous, really beautiful weather. And, and we have such amazing access to outdoor recreation that people don't want to be inside the theater um, in the summer. So... So we do our shows, uh, two two in the fall semester, two in the spring semester. Um, And and then as I'm planning, you know, we'll be thinking about are there any topical events? Um, What is the university doing at this point in time or the university theater department? Um, Whether that means that we can partner with them in some way or, for example, the show that we're doing in April has five characters and they're all 18 year old women. So we are absolutely casting out of the university, but if they were doing a, a show for, you know, say they're doing men on boats and you've got what, 10 young women, then there's a direct conflict there. So those are some things that come into play. Um, and then we have a small core of artists. Well, actually, it's not so small anymore that it's, it's built up over the last 10 years, which is really exciting. Um, but some sort of regulars on our stage or in our design process or as directors. Um, And so I'll have early conversations with them just to get a sense of like, Hey, I read this play and I think that it would be a really great fit for you. Let me share the script with you and let's talk dates and see if that plays in as well. Um, So as far as casting goes, it sometimes is an open audition um, or auditions with the University of Wyoming, um, and sometimes their direct asks, um, just depending on the needs of the show um, and the timing itself. From there, uh, we generally will have about a four- to five-week rehearsal process, um, rehearsing in the evenings and the weekends, because almost all of our artists um, have jobs or our students, yes. um, and so we work around those schedules, um, and then have a pretty tight four-day tech dress process into our performances, um, and so pre-pandemic we were doing two week eight performances, two weekends of a Thursday through a Sunday and then a Wednesday through a Saturday. Um, it's interesting because we. We share the theater with a church that has a service every Sunday morning. So on Saturday nights, if we're doing two weekend runs on Saturday nights, we have to sort of clear our set a little bit so that the church has the space and we reset it um, for our matinee currently now that we're we're back in the theater um we are only we're doing uh limited runs so just a one week run so we don't have to do that soft strike which is kind of nice right now and something to think about in our planning for the future mm-hmm. but that kind of broad strokes covers our our production period um and and through all of that we're you know Working hard, working as a team, really collaboratively pulling in from from everyone, whether it be, you know, sourcing in the community. It is important to me um, that when we are purchasing set pieces, props, costumes, et cetera, that we go to our local shops first and really support the local economy before we, you know, take that last-ditch effort and get onto Amazon or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> that's really important to me. And um, from the get-go, uh, from the inception, this company has always been incredibly scrappy. Um, so we cut a lot of corners budget-wise uh, by pulling things from our homes. Um, in fact, the very first production, we had a, a total production budget of $500. Total. Um, and so that basically covered performance rights, printing for posters and, and programs, um, and the teensiest amount of theater rental and the teensiest amount of, of, adver- of, yeah, of advertising. Um, the set was all sourced from scrap wood from my parents' garage. Um, my costume, I was in the play. My costume came from my closet. My, um, uh, my scene partner, my acting partner, his, his costume came from his closet, um, just, we, we just said, Oh, we need this. We need that. We'll, we'll find it or we'll do trades. And so, you know, we'll, we'll go to the local thrift shop and say, Hey, can we use this kitchen sink in our set if we put advertisement space for you in our program? Um, so we've and that's sort of been our ethos from, from the get go. And even though we now have, uh, we've grown our budget, thankfully, we've grown our capacity and our sustainability, um, But there still is a lot of that um, local sourcing and and just, you know, making it work with what we have, which I think is also a, you know, a rather eco-friendly choice.
0: Very, very much so. Can I take a guess on what I think that production was? Sure. Okay. Because I wrote down four productions, um, Venus and Fur, Speech and Debate read and was it brilliant traces it
1: was brilliant traces yep that was the very first production that, that I ever produced and that we did it relative theatrics
0: <laughs> that's great yeah I have um I, I interviewed a couple of people three people actually the director and two actors um from brilliant traces on on the show and I very very distinctly remember the set it was like wood I mean they had they took one of these like like black box theaters here in New York and basically built a cabin inside of it. Um, And it just, I was like, this is sounding really, really familiar. So so, hi, Blake Merriman, if you're out there. (laughs) Hi, Alyssa May Gold, who's going to be in How I Learned to Drive with Mary Louise Parker. Lucky her. Just a a, a little uh, prop for Alyssa there. But yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible that you're doing. I, I love that you like used wood from your, your, you, did your parents tear their garage down, or was it just wood in the garage? It was just
1: scrap wood that they had in the garage. I think my mom actually really appreciated it because, you know, she probably for decades has been telling my dad, you know, get this wood out of here. Um, I don't <laughs> need cluttering up my garage. And so then, you know, she both gets her daughter moving home and her garage cleared out. Like, winds all around.
0: <laughs> wow. that was That was mom's day right there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That was like another Mother's, this a second Mother's Day for the year for her. <laughs> wow, but great, X. That's that's outstanding. I love that. Um, back to Wyoming theater in yeah. general. Uh, what are some of the misconceptions of theater overall in Wyoming, just in the state? Um, what are you constantly having to clarify or explain, if at all? Is there one thing that comes up all the time?
1: Yes. Um, and I don't know if it's both because I am so young, and well, I mean not as young anymore. But I started the company when I was 24 years old, um, and being a young woman um, in Wyoming, um, I definitely and 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 I guess you know having more bubbly exuberance just in general. I think when I would tell people um, like, "Oh, well, I run a theater company," um, so often I would get the response of oh, how fun, or oh, cute, um, you know, just really not taking it seriously. And and as I've grown older, I've um, also, like, really maybe rehearsed more of how I tell people about it. Um, but I think that the big thing that I advocate is that this is real work, um, that we treat this professionally, and our artists, the caliber of their work it reflects that, um, that the operation is run like a business, that we are a nonprofit arts organization. Um, we run like a business uh, that my act of creating this was an act of entrepreneurship, which is something that particularly the state of Wyoming and, and the government is, is really, uh, really pushing for, you know, uh, our state is facing some, some pretty uh l- Large challenges budget-wise. Uh, you know, we're we're a, we're an energy state, and that's changing. And so there's there are lots of conversations on economic diversity and this idea that entrepreneurship is going to save us. Well, then recognize the arts and particularly um, the performing arts as not only a field of entrepreneurs, but a driver and a necessary cog in this entrepreneurship ecosystem. Um, So then I get all of my facts where I'm like, there are statistics, particularly in in rural um, areas of of the country, that rural communities with performing arts organizations have a direct correlation to the number of patents that are put out in that community. Um, So there's statistical proof that supporting the performing arts and creating a breeding ground for, for these theater artists does create that creative economy that that our state is saying we want, but now I think really needing to put the money where the mouth is.
0: Say, please say what you just said about the theory about patents. I know it's not a theory, that the, the, the yeah. reality of it.
1: Can we pause?
0: Yes, of course.
1: I'm gonna. I, I'll be right back. I have the just on the other side of my computer. I have the actual statistics, so I can give you something more concrete. <laughs> One second.
0: Most definitely. <laughs>
1: Okay, so the Rural Arts Design and Innovation in America study, uh, which was put out from the Rural Establishment Innovation Survey in, uh, I think, 2016, possibly, um, they found that rural communities with performing arts organizations, um, that there was a direct correlation to the number of patents um, or innovative design integrated businesses um, that were being created in those areas. Um, and that the more performing arts, com- uh, organizations in those communities, the more patents, even more so. So that one performing arts organization in a rural community might see a proportional amount of, um, of patents being, being put out, but that two or more saw even greater, uh, correlations of innovative design occurring in that community.
0: That is amazing. Yeah. That is so fast. When you read that, were you like, oh, you know, the heavens open up? Did you just think, okay, yeah, I'm not crazy.
1: So I work with, um, I've been for five years now, I think, doing just some some business accountability coaching um, with the Well, they were the Wyoming Business, Wyoming Technology Business Center, um, and now they are uh, Impact 307. So they work with entrepreneurs in Wyoming, really working on... um, bringing them towards success and they they brought in a few artists a while back including relative theatrics and so my my coach there actually brought this study to me um, and and then now we just sort of tag team trying to share this information as, as much and as widely as possible
0: that's that is so smart that's like you know what we're going to start putting our money where our mouth is and 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 kind of schooling everyone mm mm-hmm. Uh, good for you. I mean,
1: you.
0: Um, it's, th- that's so smart. And I wanted to, I wanted to swing back to what you had said about people when you tell them that you run a theater company and they're like, Oh, they kind of diminish it.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: happens a lot to writers as well. Oh, I'm a, I'm a writer. Oh, for fun. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. right.
0: yeah. So, so it's sm-
1: that's, that's one thing that I'm really hoping that, that the pandemic has curbed a little bit because I mean, especially during lockdown, what did people do? Where did they turn? To the arts. So hopefully there is a greater appreciation. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. The arts, uh, mm-hmm. after a while, I was like, the arts are totally going to survive. They are. It's mm-hmm. going to suck. Yep. Really, really hard. And uh, it's not going to be what it was for a while, but but it was, the arts had a resilience and a love that, um was maybe matched with sports, honestly. Like, it was was all coming back, and it is coming back Mm -hmm. now. And I want to thank you very much for providing me with that segue into the (laughs) COVID-19. Absolutely. um, (laughs) The COVID-19 subject. How was uh, relative theatrics affected by COVID-19? Talk about that first day when you knew everything had to shut down. It's an ugly day, I know, but...
1: Oh, yeah, man. Gosh, you're taking me back a little bit. Um, well, I, I think it's so interesting. Um, I would say that there was maybe a first day where things had to shut down in urban populations, blue states, um, more people that, especially at that point in time, did actually believe in the severity of the virus and the pandemic. And I wouldn't say that Wyoming in general, if I'm going to make a generalization, I don't think that the majority of this state was of that mindset. Um, and so it was softened a little bit, I suppose. My response was softened a little bit because um, because I saw things canceling all over the country before it directly affected me and relative theatrics here in Laramie. So there was a good amount of time, not, not ample time, but, but enough time for some, some good triage and research to see what other people were doing um, to, to find some semblance of a roadmap. Um, So we, we, you know, we were in rehearsals for a show and decided, okay, well, we're, We're going to cancel our rehearsals and, you know, sort of wait it out and see what happens over the next two weeks. Um, And at that point, then we knew, like over those two weeks, we knew, okay, we're not going to be doing a live show. But I had in that in the meantime, been doing all sorts of research on virtual programming. Um, And, you know, it was I've always sort of likened it to that that moment where you know that the mom is like lifting a car off of her child it was just like okay i'm going into like crisis mode and and we're going to find a way out and so from uh in april and may of 2020 we just ended up doing um you know zoom readings of plays our patrons were all incredibly supportive um and then we decided that for the next year for our next season um we would film our shows. So we would select smaller shows, film them using really small artistic teams that were sort of all in their own pods or even in in families with one another. Um, And then, you know, sort of sell streaming tickets for those um, while still providing free Zoom readings um, just for that arts access. So that really carried us uh, all the way to vaccinations. Um, and our artists were amazing. Um, our patrons and our donors were so supportive. I and mean, we really, we didn't see a major dip in our subscriptions. Um, and our donors were all incredibly generous saying we care about your health and, and you as an institution making it through this. Um, So that's just an incredibly rewarding feeling. I will say, now that there are vaccinations and we are back to live theater, now we are starting to feel a little bit more of that struggle um, where, you know, first of all, we just have to build in that flexibility. If an actor gets COVID, you know, we got to put the brakes on. Um, And that might mean that we are pushing a show or canceling a show or, figuring out something. Um, but everyone seems to be very understanding and um showing up with a lot of agility there, which is wonderful. The thing is is that, you know, we're not having as many people um tune into any of the virtual stuff because I think that there's a lot of burnout from just screen fatigue in general. I mean, I'm one of them. Um, and we're not having as many people come back to the theater yet because they might not be comfortable there either. So while we pre-vaccinations carried pretty well throughout this change to COVID-19, it has been more taxing in the last year.
0: Wow, that's interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's great. And anyway, you I just, you know, applause for the audience because I have heard that same comment over and over again from, uh, smaller, more intimate theater companies that their, um, their patrons, uh, it, it was stuck with them, uh, gave more money, uh, donations went up and, and they were like, we know this is coming back and we need to just not leave them in the lurch. And so, you know, thank you audience. Thank you to mm-hmm. your audiences and your, uh, and your patrons as well. That's, that's amazing, and you know, I
1: I, I, I had always pre-pandemic used the phrase "our family of supporters," but now that we have been through this, they are they are family. Um, wow! And I'm so grateful for them.
0: We have to put that in the program. Our family of supporters. Yeah. now. that would be great.
1: Yeah.
0: Just, just, you, you may have that idea. It's fine. You probably are already <laughs> oh, doing it anyway.
1: Yeah, it's already in there. But thank you. Right. You're <laughs>
0: everyone always needs my validation at least that's what i think
1: <laughs>
0: um and you know that uh, that uh continuum of frustration that everybody had during covid i mean that was just like nobody knew where to land i don't think our our government didn't know where to land half the time uh and everybody people that i've interviewed they've 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 shut down in different days they've they um, they reopen in different days. They reopen and then they shut down. It's just, yeah. it must be maddening at times for someone in your position.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just, I think being able to acknowledge that we are just living, we have been and still are living in such a time of massive uncertainty that, you know, you can have your best laid plans. But if it doesn't go through, that's okay and a solution will be made and so just i think for me knowing that that is the case and making sure that the people have the most support throughout all of that
0: right and that that's a leadership quality that you have that's you going you know what i've got drive and i might get knocked down but um i, I I'm going to get back up. I have to be here for this company and for these people. Um, And you're, you're just saying, you know, what's next, even when you don't necessarily know what is next, you're the one who is staying strong for your team and your community. And that is a tremendous leadership quality in my opinion. So, so props to you. Thank you. Ah, you're welcome. You're very, very welcome. Um, I do have to ask though, you said that like you kind of, um, uh, at first you like really bucked up and then said, I have to do this. I have to do this. I did the same thing with my podcast and my writing. but mm-hmm. I found that like, I got the, the depression, like later on, like, mm-hmm. like last year or sometime I was like, okay, I was like so strong two years ago or I'm sorry, last year. But I, then all of a sudden it just, it hit me. And I've had a, a couple of yeah. people that I've interviewed and friends tell me that they felt the same way. Did that occur with you?
1: Yeah, it probably hit me in September. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, unfortunately, it hit me in September a long time, the same time that I did come down with COVID. So, you know, there might be a little bit of a a double whammy there. Um, You know, I am, unfortunately, I'm immunocompromised. So despite being vaccinated and boosted to that point, I was both worn out by the state of the theater and worn down by literally battling through COVID so you know probably a little bit of one and a lot of bit of the other but but definitely the fall um mentally was rough um but I once again I'm just so grateful for for our supporters and for our artists and just this really strong community that we have here at Relative Theatrics because there were days absolutely where I in the first time in my career was ready to throw my hands up and just like You know, walk away and go be a receptionist or something. What's a mindless task that I can do? Um, And their love and support and passion and commitment absolutely carried me through.
0: Wow. That's that's outstanding. And I'm going to say they were probably just feeding back to you what you gave to them originally, that it was reciprocal. And that's, you know, again, there's my opinion. See? I love it. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Let's get out of COVID and let's okay. get into dream, dreaming, dreamland yeah. here. If you could have three wishes for the development of Relative Theatrics, what would they be?
1: Well, I feel like those are actually pretty, pretty simple dreams to say. I would, I would love to pay the artists more. Uh, I would love to compensate our staff more justly, and I would really love to um, dig in deeper to the community relationships that we have been building Um so that we can have more impactful partnerships. Uh, We've been partnering with nonprofits, uh, so pairing a nonprofit in the community with each of our productions, ideally so that folks will come to the show, be engrossed in the show, be moved by the show, and feel the call to do something in their own community. And so then we can say, well, here is this wonderful nonprofit that thematically relates to what you just experienced. Go volunteer, go donate, get involved. Um, So really want to... To build more on that.
0: Wow! Please tell me that that's in your handbook too. Well, uh,
1: we're still with working with a nonprofit on, on that. On, on, on We're working with a lawyer on on building the handbook. But yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll be your I'll be your first sale. I'll even buy hardcover. I'll even okay. buy like like textbook hardcover price.
1: <laughs> all right. All right.
0: <laughs> um, this has been absolutely delightful. And before we go. uh, can you please give our audience your social media information so they can keep up with your company? If you have one location where everything else is, yeah. it's great to mention that. Um, yeah.
1: So first and foremost, easiest way is to go to our website, relativetheatrics.com. We're on Facebook um, at Relative Theatrics and then on Instagram and Twitter at R Theatrics.
0: Okay. Very, very cool. You guys have a really nice website as well.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Here, You're welcome. I like your website. It's very nice. Um, and you have been so um, uh, educational. You've been entertaining. Um, oh, <laughs> you've been edifying me. You've, you've, you've really, uh, you are such um, an asset to the world of theater. And I think that, um Wyoming should really count you as one of their artistic treasures. I mean, what you do is a lot of work and it's a lot of, um, stress. It's a lot of hours. And, uh, the fact that you still get joy from that is great.
1: Thank you and, so much.
0: And I mean, cause there are a lot of people who would get to that point to where they'd be saying, I don't know. I don't know if I could do this anymore. It's crazy. And, and, and I could just tell that it's because you just have a tremendous love for theater and um, you've been incredible. And I want to thank you so much for being a part of this series. You've been uh, so informative. And uh, I think everyone is really going to enjoy this episode. So and thank you for being on your program as your ticket. And I wish you many broken legs in the future of your career and, um, and your theater.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Well, folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken. So it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to Anne Mason of Relative Theatrics. She was awesome. You can find more episodes of Your Program is Your Ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at BPN.fm slash YPIYT. Again, that's BPN.fm slash YPIYT. Your program is your ticket is also on Facebook at Facebook.com. Your program is your ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at program ticket. Instagram at your program is your ticket. YouTube at your program is your ticket. iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Cast, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK based theater platform Thespie. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, and remember theater is for everyone. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance.